Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today, our central topic is going to be parental rights and several subtopics surrounding that, like medical kidnapping, transgender issues, uh, school health centers, if you're not aware of those popping up everywhere. Uh, I don't know if they're so much in Canada, but the United States, definitely they're popping up all over the place and what that means. So that's going to be our central topic. I want to jump back, though, to last week's episode really quick and just talk through some interesting human behavior, I guess. I guess, uh, acknowledgement of human behavior. Um, We did that episode on prayer and how to enact change in the right way, a lasting way. And it's interesting. It's Thursday today when we're recording. So the podcast has been out four days and we have about the same amount. This is very transparent, guys. We have about Mm -hmm. the same amount of downloads today on a Thursday, four days in, as we normally do on a Monday on the first day. And so I thought that we had a large Christian audience. I thought majority of our audience is Christian. And not that we don't want Christian people who aren't Christians here. We absolutely want everyone here. Everyone is welcome mm-hmm. here. And we love to hear from all of you. But that being said, that episode was really targeted at those who are Christians to be able to hear that episode and understand what we should be doing as Christians if we believe what we say we believe in. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm wrong. And so I did a poll on Instagram, and I think it ended up being 92% of the people who voted were Christians. Um, That was uh, 2,920 people, I think it ended up at. Um, So there was, I think, 1% said that they, one or 2% said they were another religion, another faith. And it left at about 6% saying that they didn't have any kind of particular faith group. But so what I found out from that is we do have a large Christian audience. And I paid attention to click counts on my uh, podcast link shares as well. And it was interesting to find that podcast links typically don't get a lot of clicks anyway. Like when I share an article or share a link to a product or something, people click on it. But podcast links typically are a little bit lower. And I typically get somewhere between 150 to 200 uh, clicks on a podcast link I share. That's pretty average. Uh, This prayer episode, I have interestingly gotten, I think, The first day it was 17 clicks, and I think uh, the second time I shared it was like 30 clicks. So that's down significantly. Even after uh, most of the people in my audience, the vast majority told me they're Christians. And so I, I think a couple things here. I think that one, there might be an instance where we just don't see this as the most powerful thing that we could be doing. We think diving into these issues, you know, it's more enticing, it's more interesting, it's juicy, it's kind of, you know, something to get, quote, riled up about or fired up about. Um, Another thought I had is maybe people think, oh, I already know I should pray. But then my question is, if we already think we know that, are we actually doing it? And this isn't just a, um, you know, calling out of any of you, because this is something Cecily and I did as a podcast episode because we need it to. Like mm-hmm. we, I admitted on that episode and I admitted in my um, Instagram stories, you know, prayer is easy for me when it's about my family, when it's about my immediate circle, when it's about um, helping my loved ones. But 
when it comes to leadership and the issues, I often find it that I don't even think of praying for those things. You know, that's a that's the last thing I think of praying for. And so I'm convicting myself to do this as well. And so it's not just about other people. But um, Cecily, do you want to add anything before I read that message I got? Yeah, I've just I don't really have anything to add, but I just want to echo it. And I think a feeling that I had for sure, I don't know about you, I talked to you a little bit about this over the past couple days, is a feeling kind of of disappointment and not because we get less listens on episodes like Mm -hmm. this, but because we see these episodes as so foundational and so important, right? Whether you're a faithful prayer or not, I feel like it is so valuable to be pointed back to the word and pointed back mm-hmm. to the source of all truth. Right. And for me, it had been, I think about by the time we recorded that episode, I think about five episodes had passed since we even really brought up scripture or prayer at all, just because of the nature of the episodes, having guests on things like that. And for me, by the time we got around to like the fourth week of that, I was like, oh man, I love all these episodes, but I am craving just directing people back to the Lord. Like I was craving that um, because ultimately that is why we do what we do, right? Mm-hmm. The, the only reason we can point to any truth or non-truths in culture is because there is a source of truth. And more than anything, that's what we want people to understand. We want people to understand that God is sovereign. He is powerful. He is the one who affects change. He is over everything, right? And so just this feeling of disappointment where it's like, I hope that as a podcast that we're not contributing to an addiction to being riled up without actually, um, (laughs) you know, taking that action, that, that action of prayer, that that contributes to real change. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. All right. So I'm going to read this message that I got from a listener on Instagram. And it's funny. She sent me this message after my poll, before I said anything about the prayer episode or the importance Mm -hmm. of prayer or the importance of listening to this episode. And she was totally echoing why I did this poll. And she, she just message me this out of the blue. And so it was very interesting. So I'm going to cut into this message so I don't have to read the whole thing. But it says, I find myself being a bit or feeling a bit frazzled with things currently again. And it always helps to know that I just need to center back. Your podcast helps with that as well. Sometimes I think I'm looking to get riled up. And then you guys do a podcast on prayer, the latest one. And I'm like, no, let's get into it. Let's get fired up. What do Rita and Cecily think about this and that and all these things that are happening? And then I listen and I know I need to just be rooted again. Not sure if any of that makes sense, but you guys do such a good job of bringing it back to the truth and God and morals. And I messaged her back. I'm like, no, that absolutely makes sense. That's exactly mm-hmm. actually why I did that poll. But yeah. um, then she goes on. Let me find where I'm at. Uh, She says, but I think for me, I make things harder than they need to be by not wanting the drama and opinions and maybe prayer or sorry, not by not wanting the drama. She says by wanting the drama and opinions and maybe prayer just seems too simple. Like I loved the podcast and it is what I needed, but I had to make myself listen because I found myself wanting something different. But after listening, I was like, dang, yep, that's the truth. So anyway, I I just found that so interesting. Like our human like desire is to get into it, you know, and 
be into the issues and all the drama of it. But sometimes when we step away and do the thing, what did I tell you yesterday, Cecily? It's it, it for me, like I am a person that is drawn into these issues and I could just talk about these issues. Like that's what my desire is, you know? Mm-hmm. And so doing these podcast episodes just on prayer seems like this listener said, very simple, mm-hmm. but um, it's so important and it's the discipline, right? It's the discipline to that's know right. that that's what I need, not mm-hmm. not the other. So I'm going to leave you with these three comments I left uh, my Instagram followers with. Do we really want change or we, do we just want to idolize the, quote, issues of the day? Number two, do we truly understand and believe in the power of prayer? Three, are we just trying to solve the issues on our own for getting God's will is greater than our will? Mm-hmm. Great question. All right. So actually, before we move on, I, when I was prepping for this episode, I just was going to the Bible as I do for every episode. But God had put on my heart Psalm 127, and I thought it was going to be for the back half of this episode when we get into our main topic. But actually, I believe the first half of this psalm is actually meant for this part right here. It says, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I just think that really speaks to this, like, if all we do is talk about the issues and we do try, we try our best to root it back to our values because that's why we started this podcast, right? We started the podcast out of a desire to live deeply rooted in our own values and to help other people to do the same. But unless the Lord is building the house, those who build it labor in vain, that applies to the podcast, but it also applies to all of us as we try to engage mm-hmm. with the cultural issues going on in the world, right? It's really easy to comment on them. It's really easy to talk about them. But if we're not going to the Lord and letting letting him have his will and ha- letting that will be done, ultimately his will is going to be done anyway, but we need to engage with him in that, right? That's the blessing that we actually have as people of God is that we get to engage with him in his will being done. Um, And a huge way we do that is through prayer. So we don't want anything we do to be in vain, um, even something simple as listening to a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're going to get into parental rights today. I think this is a major, major issue. I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding where our rights as parents begin and the state's rights begin or where, you know, those those lines are kind of muddied right now. And I, my children are, you know, mine. They were given to me by God and they are entrusted to me to raise. That's how I view it. Um, it's, <laughs> Cecily, I don't know why I'm thinking of this right now, but I had, mm. um, <laughs> this is just kind of funny. This is just <laughs> a, a very a clear example of how I view my rights as a parent. Um, when I was still working, I was thinking of homeschooling, but it wasn't a, I wasn't in a place where I could homeschool every day. You know, I was going to need somewhere for my kids to go one or two days a week. And we were going to that small Christian school at the time. And I was like, you know, I think I might see if my kids could just go there part time. And 
Levi was like, I mean, can you do that? And he thinks very much like me. So I'm not like downgrading him by saying this, but he was like, I don't know, like, can people do that? And I was like, they're my kids. I can do whatever I want. Like, it's up Mm -hmm. to her if she wants to do that as a teacher. But like, yeah, (laughs) I don't need anyone's (laughs) approval to do that. And so I don't know. I just thought of that as like, this is how I view parenting. Like, they are my Mm -hmm. children given to me, entrusted to me to raise um, and not the government. So anyway, we're going to get into parental rights. And Cecily, I don't know if you have um, a video or anything as a jumping off point that kind of started that conversation the other day with us. All right. So we tried to find a video and we did have one, but the audio was just not good. And we thought by the time we replayed the audio into a microphone here, it just would make it really difficult and maybe frustrating for you guys to hear. So we're going to try to explain the story a little bit. It was in September that people, I believe across Canada or yeah, across Canada, got an Amber Alert for um, a little boy who they say had been kidnapped by his mother from from BC Children's Hospital, I believe. And they were trying to track him down. They were saying that potentially he had meningitis. Um, Turns out he did not have meningitis, thankfully. But they found the child and his mother in Alberta. She had taken him to the hospital, I believe, four days in a row for first assessment, treatment, follow-up. And according to her, of course, like, this is one of those stories where you can't get the full picture. But we are going to tell her story as we know it based on what she has said. So based on what she has said, she was away. Her mom took her child in. She was babysitting and took her child in because he was sick. And um, they began testing him and trying to figure out how to treat him. Um, And they did begin treatment. But then when they were suspicious that it was meningitis, they were considering either a lumbar puncture or just beginning um, IV antibiotic treatment with the assumption that it was meningitis. And she had seen improvement in her child and declined the treatment. She did not want him to receive the constant IV antibiotics. She did not want him to get the lumbar puncture unnecessarily because she had seen an improvement in his health. Um, They continued to push it and she continued to decline And at some point in this, I'm not exactly sure because even from watching the videos, the timeline was a little confusing to me. She took her child and fled to Alberta where they were later found. She was arrested. The child was taken to an unknown hospital in Alberta, spent a couple days there before being flown back to Vancouver. So this story hit people in a couple different ways. So I was looking it up today because I was trying to refresh my memory on the situation. And so I looked at a variety of news sources as I was trying to locate the video again. And a lot of the mainstream media sites like Global News, etc., just reported it, the Amber Alert, in very basic terms, like this is what the child looks like, this is what the suspect looks like, um, who to call if you see them. But then there was some Reddit boards that I got sucked into that I started looking through the comments and some of the, well, all the comments on the Reddit board were against the mother. They were against the mother and the fact that she took her child away um, in a life and death, as they said, not according to the mother, but according to them, it was a life and death situation and all sorts of horrible things they said about her, about how she wasn't fit to be a mother, a lot of swear words, et cetera, et cetera. And then... I went 
to the Instagram page of a radio host or a pod, I guess he's a podcast host now, who I knew had interviewed her, Kid Carson. And I read some of the comments on his interview with her. And of course, they were all in support of the mother and her rights and medical freedom. So again, it's another example of people seem to fall very strongly in two camps, um, went to her page as well. And again, there was a lot of support there. So this story, when this happened in September, it's something that I immediately sent to Rita and it sparked a lot of interesting conversation as far as like, where do parental rights start? Do parental rights have an end? What is that end? Like, these are important questions worth asking and talking about. Yeah. So like you said, we're just taking her story and going from there. But like my ultimate endpoint was what if this child's life was actually in danger? Like Mm -hmm. her description of it does not sound like that. I mean, he was well enough to leave the hospital for a few days and then they went back to the Vancouver hospital to have a little bit of further testing or to to see. I don't don't think she even necessarily wanted the further testing. She was just, you know, they were being, um, they were trying to comply. Yeah, she was trying to comply, and so she took her child back there. So anyway, my question was, regardless of what condition he was in, what if he was, you know, at the brink of death? Like, Mm -hmm. at what point do we say it's a parent's right to choose what treatment their child gets? And when people hear this, they might say, oh my gosh, well, it's just antibiotics. Like, wouldn't you want your child to live? Yes, I would choose my child to live if they were at the brink of death and just needed some antibiotics. Mm -hmm. But someone else might not, that might not be their belief system. And so let me just give you a few um, like anchoring thoughts, I guess, to kind of like, or other thoughts to give you a better idea of where I'm coming from. What if you didn't live in the United States? What if you didn't live in Canada? What if you lived in some, you know, tribal nation where your belief system is totally different, where you don't have modern medicine at all, and it would be completely foreign to you to put anything like that into your body where you would, you know, you might think someone is actually trying to kill you if they do that, you know, and your belief system might be such that you believe in some other gods or something that are healing you. And so is it our right because we are in this different nation to be like, no, no, we have to do this for you. You know, it's like we live in these places where we have these things. And so people's, certain people's belief systems supersede other people's belief systems. And Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to me how that all plays out when we, it's so hypocritical, I guess. This is another instance of hypocrisy in the medical world. Like we allow certain people to believe whatever they want to believe about their identity and everything else, but Mm -hmm. you can't have any other rooted beliefs. And it's another instance of hypocrisy when we see a medical system that values life to the extent that they are willing to take a child away from their parent, but only young life not unborn life, only born and young, not elderly life, not mentally um, 
mentally ill life, you know, as we just talked about made in the last episode and the a few episodes back, um, the medical assistance in dying in Canada, you know, clearly they don't value life in other instances, but in this instance. So is it really about value of life or is it value of control? And then as we progress in the medical world and get more and more technologies available, for example, working in the ICU, um, we at one point, if a person couldn't come off bypass in the OR when we were doing open heart on a patient, the surgeon called us and said, you know, this patient, we could not get off bypass. They're coming up to pass. Get the family back there soon. But as things progressed, you know, over the last 10 years, we had ECMO available to us. So no longer mm-hmm. did we have patients coming up, you know, passing in the ICU immediately after surgery if they were not able to come off bypass. ECMO was always offered and it was always done. And a lot of those patients, the outcome was the same, but their life, life, um, heartbeats and breaths, not necessarily actually living, was prolonged a few days. And so mm-hmm. as that technology progresses, at what point are we going to say your child or your loved one has to have this procedure because it's a life-saving thing that we can offer you? Um, There's been instances where kids have been taken from parents because they had cancer and the parent didn't want to proceed with cancer treatment. You know, at what point is this the medical community and the state's right to decide? And at what point is this the parent's right to decide. Like this is a very murky ground. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. to me, Jehovah's Witnesses in the hospital, their rights were respected. They could have a hemoglobin of four and need blood and you were not going to give them blood unless they consented to it. And were they, you know, coerced? Were people, you know, trying to tell them to take blood? Absolutely. But until they said yes, until they signed the paper, no one force them to take blood because their belief was respected. And so it's just interesting to me, where do we draw this line? It is, like you said, a super murky conversation. And there's so many things in life where I can clearly see where a line should be. You know what I mean? Very clearly see a line. Um, This one, I will admit, is super challenging for me. I'm not talking about this particular case with this woman and her child. I have my own views on that, that like, again, Based on the mother's story, what I'm taking, I'm just taking her at face value that what she says is true. She seemed very rational in the way she was talking and her ideas, her approach to care and to testing seemed rational to me. Um, So I have my own ideas about that case for sure. But I do get confused when it comes to things like cancer or, you know, I just think, what do I think? Like, that's my question. I really don't know because I think of things like, well, child abuse, right? Like actual physical child abuse. Do I think parents have the right to abuse their child? No. Um, And I believe that's when society surrounding the child needs to step in somehow to relieve that child of the suffering that they're going through. Like, I believe that we're all protectors of children, Um, But parents have this special privilege as protector of their children. And I pray to Mm -hmm. God that a parent takes that duty seriously and actually protects their child in the best way that they can. Right. But the question is, what do we do when we have a different idea in the medical world? So, again, putting like child abuse aside, 
But in cases like this, where, yeah, you and I might choose to give our kid antibiotics, someone else might not, you know, like, where is the line? Where is that line? It's, it's, I really can't be too sure about it, to be honest with you. I, I'm wondering, when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses, and say a child was needing a blood transfusion, would the wishes, like, obviously, an adult's wishes would be respected. I wonder if it's the same thing, if um, Jehovah Witness child was in and its parents said, no blood transfusion. I wonder I can't, if it's- I can't think of a specific instance that I was a part of, but I'm inclined to say yes, their wishes are respected. Yeah, and see, I'm cool with that. Like I'm cool with that. For some reason, when it comes to like that exact example, and maybe it's because I have a faith of my own and it is the most important thing to me and I would want my wishes respected in order to feel like I was being a faithful Christian, right? So I get where a Jehovah Witness would be coming from. Um, But I guess living in the world that we live in, it's really difficult for me to imagine um, a Jehovah Witness couple or parent bringing in their child and refusing the blood transfusion and the hospital being okay with that. And who knows, maybe that's something that we'll see change in the future that they won't respect. Um, but, but that's like, why it's important to have these conversations. saying that, like the hospital being okay with that. Like that's where I have well, a problem. exactly. Like yeah. why does the hospital have to be okay with my decisions? They don't. Mm-hmm. And this is where like I'm hard line drawn on this subject. Like yeah. I, I, I see the child abuse situation and mm-hmm. I see that as like you are physically harming your child. You're doing yes. something to them. You're not withholding something yeah, that could help them that you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. You're physically hurting them right? And yes, they might pass away if they don't receive some treatment. But like, so with cancer, for example, like why can an elderly person decline treatment because they're old Mm -hmm. and they don't want to go through the suffering, but a parent can't decline it for their child if they don't want the treatment for their child or don't want their child to have to suffer through that. And I just... I just see this clearly as a parental rights issue. And mm-hmm. I mean, it is a parental rights issue, but like Absolutely, yeah. I'm not willing to say that I know better what's right for your mm-hmm. child. And I know some of the listeners might disagree with me and think it's heartless, but I, I don't know. No, I don't think it's heartless at all. But I do think this is one of those really interesting conversations for you and I to have because I yeah, don't it think is. we're necessarily in full agreement. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I can't say we're in disagreement either because I'm just really not sure about yeah. that. Um, one one other thing she said in that interview with which it was really hard to hear. We maybe link that in the show notes, and you guys can try to listen if you can. But. Mm-hmm. Um, she had said, um, the, the mother of this child that we had brought up at the beginning, um, she had said that when she was visiting, because she was allowed visitation into the hospital, um, but that in, if she showed any emotion, they would use mm-hmm. it against her. Like if they tried to like hold her son down to put an IV in because his other mm-hmm. IV fell out, like she cried and that was used against her. And mm-hmm. I have witnessed this firsthand. Like you have a family... And as soon as something happens, they get labeled as difficult. And then everything they do is an issue. And it's really sad. Sometimes they are literally pointing out something that we did that was wrong. 
And then they're labeled as these troublemakers. And so like no one wants to deal with them. No one wants to listen to them. And I've witnessed that firsthand. And so that seemed very uh, realistic to me. And I think we just have a huge problem with control and these God complexes within the medical community. Yeah. And I mean, just speaking as a parent too, who's watched their child undergo medical procedures, like you can do anything to me in a hospital. I won't cry if you're doing it to me. That's fine. You know, like, but just watching even something minor happen to my children, you feel it in a whole other way. It's really hard to remain unemotional. So now imagine the hospital is doing things to your child that you don't agree with. So not only is it difficult to watch them go through pain, you're also watching them go against your deeply held beliefs. And imagine the pain that that would cause a parent. Mm -hmm. And imagine that parent being forced to appear unemotional for fear of her child being taken away. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We are just going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, and that is Kaleidoscope Kids Bibles. We have been advertising these Bibles for a while now, so if you guys haven't checked out readkaleidoscope.com yet, pause the podcast, check it out, and then come back to us. These kids' Bibles are such an amazing resource to engage your kids with the Bible. They are written at an elementary level for your kids, slightly above the storybook Bibles, but not yet at the adult translations. They are something that the whole family enjoys. We love every book they put out. And the best part is you can get them all individually, or you can get them at a subscription model at $8 per month and get six brand new books delivered to your door every year. That's half the cost of Netflix and you are investing in your child's spiritual health. So check out readkaleidoscope.com and enter the code BOOMCLAP to take 10% off your order. So one thing that when we had this conversation together on our own, this was a couple of weeks ago. So this is not a fresh conversation. So we're just like hashing it all out again yeah. here. One thing you, I think you brought up, Cecily, was the transgender mm-hmm. issue and mm-hmm. um, like in relating it to this, you know, whether yeah. or not like what should be done there. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but. Sure. Yeah. This was a really interesting conversation that we had too. Um This is another one. I'm not fully sure where I stand on it. Do I believe that children should transition? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I believe children are by nature immature, right? They're immature. They're not grown yet. They cannot make these decisions themselves. Um, But now we have places like California that are sanctuary states for kids to go without parental consent and to have transitional surgery. Um, So, you know, a lot of people, especially on the conservative end, will say that encouraging children towards transition is child abuse and that it shouldn't be tolerated and that people should face consequences for it because we all know the kids are going to face consequences for it, right? Like this, these types of surgeries, they don't come without consequence, right? So... Mm -hmm. The, the question was, what should a parent's rights be as far as allowing their child or encouraging their child to transition? And I think you and I do agree on, well, you explain what you explained to me earlier as far as the legal part of it, because I'm in full agreement with that. 
Yeah. So first of all, the the California thing you brought up, this is just another situation of the state thinking that they know better and your right shouldn't yeah. be your right. So That's on the right. parental rights side of the parents should be notified when something is happening to their child, any kind of medical procedure, that is a huge issue. And I honestly think in most states, like in Illinois, I think the age is 12 where the parents, uh, the kids must... I think have to sign something now for their parents to be able to hear any of their medical advice or not medical advice, medical um, information. So the line is getting pushed back further and further on where um, parents have rights with their children and what age a child is able to consent to things and talk about things without their parent present, which is a huge Mm -hmm. issue in itself. But one thing, so I don't know, this is, this is my brain going a lot of places here on the parental rights issue with the transgender thing. But I was, you know, reading in the Bible earlier, I was just thinking, you know, when you read the Bible, there's a lot of advice on parenting and there's a lot of information on parenting, but there's not really anything about, quote, parental rights. Mm-hmm. But I was looking and uh, Proverbs twenty nine fifteen says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And it says it differently in different versions, of course. Mm-hmm. But the point was with that, that a child should not be left to himself. A parent should be giving the child advice and raising them properly. And I think in the, these transgender issues, this is one of those cases where the child says this and the parent says, okay, you know, and they they just go with whatever their child says. They're not parenting and raising this child rightly. Mm-hmm. And it also says in the Bible multiple places that, you know, when commands are given that so it will go well with you. So you will have like live a long life and it will go well. And so I view this as Christian as Christians, we know that God's word tells us that we should do these things that are told to us or it might not go well for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that people who are not living according to God's word, it's not going to go well for them. And it is very sad for these children who are left to their own ways and not reared by their parents appropriately. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's part of not living rightly and it is a consequence for the parents. And even, I I can't remember, um, oh gosh, I should have looked that up, the Bible verse, but it says, you know, so it will go well for you and your, like your children. And do you know what I'm saying, Cecily? Yeah. 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 So it it, it even goes further down your lineage. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not living according to the word, it's going to serve consequences down your lineage as well, yeah. right? And yeah. so I think that when we talk about consequences for the parents, we're getting a step ahead of ourselves. First, there can't be any law against parents allowing their kids to transition if it's allowed within society as far as um, the medical community allows it. The medical community offers these procedures. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to um, tell parents that they are going to be held accountable in some way when their um, their these procedures are obviously offered. So I think that when we're uh, taking aim, the aim needs to be taken first at the medical community and then also at the hearts and minds of people. I think that's the yes. way that we enact change, not just in punishing parents, because mm-hmm. 
we get caught up in saying these things, but speaking truth to lies is where we get gain traction, right? And I think we're seeing that right now with the transgender issue, just speaking truth to lies consistently and pointing yes. these things out and pointing the hypocrisy out. We're seeing some of these things. In fact, I think, um, uh, oh gosh, Vanderbilt in Tennessee, yeah. I think they just suspended um, procedures on children. Because I think that they took so much heat. So speaking truth to lies, then we get the medical community to, you know, admit some of these things and maybe not, but that's where we uh, start to get traction first, I think. But then on the side of parental rights and how this plays into parental rights as a whole, I think every time we ask government to intervene in something that we see as Christians as clearly amoral, we need to look at culture around us because Mm -hmm. that culture around us is set against our ways as Christians. Mm -hmm. They do not see our moral values as, as right or good or anything like that, you know? So we're, we're trying to ask government, which is not built upon God's word. Our government is not, you know, serving God. Our government is serving a whole lot of other things right now. So we're asking a government that doesn't value our moral standards to take action against something that we see as amoral. And then we're opening a door for the same to be applied to us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we're wrong in speaking out against these issues. I absolutely think we should be speaking out against them. But I think to take aim at parents and parental rights in this situation, um, from a standpoint of saying parents who allow their kids to do this should be punished is the wrong way to go about it because these same parents doing these things think we should be punished for things that we do to our children. And um, I just think it's the wrong way to go about it. Our aim should be at the medical community. It should be speaking truth to lies and it should be the hearts and minds of people. Oh, I agree. Okay. There's so much that I want to say about what you all just said. Um, Let me see where I'm going to start and how I can keep my mind straight on all this. So first of all, government being the moral arbiter is always a very dangerous place to be, right? And we've had a whole, I think we did at least one or more episodes on morality, right? And where do morals come from? Morals can only come if there's objective truth in the world. And that can only come from a moral lawgiver, which is God, right? So if we have um, a very secular government becoming the moral arbiter, it is, you know, a very slippery slope, like you said, until they're doing something that they're calling us immoral, right? Because they're the Mm -hmm. ones that get to set what morality is. And that brings me to the point of, I believe this is another BC parent, another BC Canada parent their son or daughter, I forget which now it was, wanted to transition. This this couple was divorced and the mother of the child was all for it and was pushing this, this forward and the dad tried to stop it. He ended up in jail. Okay, so this is an example of the government being mm-hmm. the moral arbiter and he was punished for wanting to keep his child the same gender until the child was old enough to make a decision for themselves. So that's what happens. And the same thing happened. And no, I shouldn't say the same thing because people get really mad when you compare Nazi Germany to things that are going on today. And I'm not saying it's equal, but I am saying that the German doctors that participated in the things that they did during the war years later were held accountable 
for their actions. So the government mm-hmm. at the time was the moral arbiter and said, yes, do this. This is good. This is right. This is true. This is what needs to happen. Well, years later, the truth comes out, right? The truth has a way of always coming out. And going back to that proverb that you had read um, about how, you know, there's this command and then this promise in a sense, right, that it'll go well with you. And a lot of people can misinterpret that, right, in a prosperity gospel sort of way. Mm, and so yeah, I just want to make yeah, I'm glad you brought clear. that up. Yeah, I want to make it clear that that is not what Rita was saying. It's not what we're saying at all. This is a cause and effect, right? It's a natural cause and effect. God is the designer, right? God is the designer of humanity. He is the designer of the universe. When we go against that design, there is a natural cause and effect. And this is not prosperity. This is God's natural laws being challenged. There will be compromise or consequence, not compromise. Consequence. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Man, there is so much that we could uh, – this is a conversation. I feel like this podcast episode is just a long conversation of us hashing out our thoughts, and you guys are probably mm-hmm. hashing out your thoughts right now yes. with us, and that's the goal here mm-hmm. is to get some wheels turning on this, and then we're going to have to come back to this issue another time also or mm-hmm. issues because there's multiple here um, at another time and hash it out a little bit further, but this is just a – tip of the iceberg of the conversation, but moving on to school health centers. Do you want to move on to that really quick? Yeah, let's Um, do that. All right. So let's dive into school health centers now, because this is just another area where parental rights are being stripped away more and more. And this one's under the guise of, you know, helping the needy or helping people who may be um, less fortunate. So recently, I recently, I guess it was at the beginning of this year. So not that recent, but like maybe six, nine months ago, the beginning of this year, maybe March, February, March, uh, I had seen an article in pop up actually on Facebook uh, from our local paper saying that uh, the school, and I think I talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but saying the school was getting funding for a quote school health center. And the paper was very excited about this. And I was like, wait, what's a school health center? Because to me, just another instance of the school taking um, away parents' rights potentially and, you know, trying to become the parent of the kids. So anyways, um, I had posted about that and I got information back from people in other towns talking about their school health centers going in. And it turns out this is a big movement. Um, The governments in many states and nationally are providing funding for these, quote, school health centers. And all of us have a school nurse. This is something different. So I had looked up, I just searched school health centers, and a lot of them say similar language. So this one's from a school in Washington, and it lists out what the school nurse role is versus what the school-based health center is. And so I'm going to read this to you just so you can hear a little bit. It says, school-based health centers provide primary behavioral health and other health care services such as dental care to enrolled students and sometimes students' families, school staff, or other community members. They provide primary care, including comprehensive health screenings, well-child exams, sports physicals, vaccinations, treatment of injury and chronic chronic and acute illness, laboratory service, diagnostics, procedure and dispensing of medic or sorry, prescriptions and dispensing of medication. And they provide, this is where it gets sticky for me, the prescription part, and then providing behavioral health care, including mental health, 
substance abuse counseling. Okay. And then at the bottom, it goes on to tell you um, that advances in health equity uh, improve access to health care, particularly for the historically underserved, such as students of color and students who are immigrants, refugees, English learners, low income, rural, un or underinsured, homeless, LGBTQ plus and or disabled. And so I find this to be a situation where we're going to have parents whose kids end up on medications they don't know about. They potentially will be talking to this counselor about transitioning and things. And you just sent me a article the other day. How many students was it? Like a 550 percent. 500 and something. Yeah. Insane. Percent increase in a certain school of students who identify as something other than their born gender. So 550% Uh. increase. And so imagine a school health center being there and someone there to talk to these kids, to counsel these kids in the way that they should go, potentially without the parents knowing. I have gotten so much flack for saying that that is a social pressure situation. The fact that we're seeing such an increase in these kids identifying as transgender. So then when you see numbers like that, I feel justified Mm -hmm. Um, and then also justified again in having some sincere reservations about these school health centers. Yeah. So I've got a one minute video I'm going to play of a man who his child was a part of one of these school health centers unbeknownst to him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to make this short. If you have teenage kids in Washington State, watch this video. I get a call today from the counselor at the high school, Snohomish, Washington. They proceed to say, your child, 15 years old, did not pick up his antidepressants um, at the end of the school year. I said, he, he's not on antidepressants. Like, what are you talking about? My kid is not depressed. I got that in my teeth. Forget it. And they proceed to tell me that they had a psychiatrist come to the school and give my kid antidepressants. And he's mm-hmm. been on them for several months. I had no knowledge. I knew nothing about it. Knew nothing. Come to find out, it's 100% legal. They could do whatever they want with our kids in Washington State in the school program. 100% legal. So it just happens to be that I looked up Washington (laughs) uh, School Health Center from Washington State. They're like bylaws, essentially. And then this guy's from Washington. But this is something that I just want parents to be aware of. This is another conversation we need to have a longer one on, but parents need to be aware of these school health centers. Uh, the town next to me, the messages I got from parents about their school health center, it was funded up, uh, almost done before they even knew anything about it. And these parents are involved parents, and it was ready to be opened um, within a few weeks of being opened before they knew anything of the sort. Yeah, that's really scary. Really, really scary. And as you're reading, or sorry, playing that clip from Washington, I just had this feeling like sometimes I just feel like I need to apologize on behalf of the whole West Coast and the insane policies that you find from top to bottom from British Columbia all the way down to California. I I don't know what's going on over here, but (laughs) something about the air on the West Coast is creating some insane policy. Yeah. It's Illinois. It's New York. It's yeah. <laughs> there's some of us crazies in the Midwest too. Well, we're yeah. not crazy. Most of Illinois is not no. crazy. We're just sub- yeah. subject to the city of Chicago. That's so. right. 
All right, we're going to wrap this episode up. As Rita said earlier, I am sure you guys are forming your thoughts right along with us. That was absolutely the hope for this episode. I'm going to leave you with a scripture from 2 Timothy. This is starting at 3 verse 10 and going through chapter four a little ways. It says, you, however, this is Paul talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebu rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So that scripture, I am just hoping that you can take that as an encouragement and also as direction, right? We can't change a lot of the things that are going on in the world. Again, this takes it back to last episode too. But what we can do is we can remember the truth ourselves. We can teach the truth to our children and we can be prepared, as it says, in season and out of season to preach the word and to fulfill the ministry that we have been called to. And that is what's going to make the biggest change in culture. Um, Speaking of culture, you guys do check us out at theboomclapcommunity.com. We are starting a new book discussion this month that we'll be discussing next month together. The book that we've decided to read is Hold the Line, and the tagline here is A Call for Christian Conviction in a Culture of Conformity. I hesitate to even share the title with it because I am a fickle person and I'm like, I just want them to read it with us. I want them to be like in our book discussion so that we can all engage and talk together. But even if you don't choose to join us, which I really hope you do, this this book is is really huge for helping you to engage well in, in culture as a Christian without compromise. So theboomclapcommunity.com, it gives you options for how to join. Check that out. We would love to have as many people as possible to read this book with, discuss, and learn from each other. You can also find us outside the podcast. I'm on Instagram at cecily.dickey or on my website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at ritarogersco.com or Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram. Thank you for listening. 